Fitting song for this morning on this child dedication morning. What other hope do we have as parents, as a family, as a church to raise our children, to bring them to the next, our faith to the next generation, but our hope in the Lord, our hope in the Lord. As you saw this morning, we had babies up to even, I think, four and five-year-olds. If you haven't had your children dedicated yet, I want you to know if you feel like they're not babies anymore, you didn't do that, you didn't miss your window. Uh, I want to let you know that. Uh, next time we do that, please, um, you know, talk to me or, or send us an email whenever we announce child dedication again. And I'd love to dedicate your children here at Bethany Church. Scripture reading this morning comes from two places. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Maybe you want to grab them both. Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6. We'll wait just a moment as you're turning there. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In Ephesians 6, 1-4, through 4, it says this, Children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Today, in light of our dedication Sunday, <clears throat> I thought we would give a realistic message on the topic of parenting, a hopefully honest message on the topic of parenting, and call it Crazy Parenting. Crazy parenting. I have three children myself, and there are times when my wife and I look at each other and just say, what are we doing? <laughs> Who are we? How do we handle this? In our age of parenting, I think there's every age of parenting, there's unique pressures and unique parental environment, whether you raised your children 30 years ago, 50, or, or you're raising kids now. I think we're in an age right now of high parental anxiety. High parental anxiety. We have more options than ever before as parents. More opportunities for our kids maybe. But more worry. More anxiety. We spend overwhelming amounts of energy and focus and money and expectations on our children. And if things don't work out, it's our fault, right? I'll ruin my children with that bowl of lucky charms, right? <laughs> That's 50 points off their SAT for sure, right? <clears throat> that stress that parenting has gotten a little, maybe feel a little crazy. Many of us feel there's no sacrifice too great, no work too hard, and that everything depends on me. I must parent perfectly. Yet sometimes it looks like this. I was having a uh, disciplining discussion with one of my kids, and I thought, I'm doing so good here. I'm like, this is, yes, this is going great. I'm on it. We're just heading in the right direction. I'm, you know, God is in charge, and he's put me in charge, and I want you to obey, and God wants you to obey, but when we disobey, it shows us, us we need a Savior. Daddy, you have some food on your face. 
That was the response. I thought it was going right where I wanted it to go. We have also lots of fear of failure as parents. So this morning, how can we take a step back today, find grace for the weary parent, grandparents too, and yet recalibrate our view to what God expects from us as parents and as children. So kids in the service today, I'll be speaking to you too. I'm speaking to you as well. You need to hear every word of this as well. But I'm also speaking to everyone here. Those that maybe you're thinking kids are a long way off for you. Grieving another negative pregnancy test. Or searching for that jumbo shopping cart at Target. That's us, right? That's all of us today. To the empty nester, to the grandparent, to the single parent, to the Sunday school teacher. We just covenanted together a moment ago, didn't we? This is for all of us. Because we're all called the family of God. You can be in a mother, a father, a spiritual role to in any of the children, to any of the children in this church in their life. We are in this together. So don't check out if you're like, I don't have kids. Stay engaged this morning. It's for all of us. Parenting is one of, I would say, probably one of the hardest jobs you'll ever have. This morning, here's what we're going to see. There's wisdom, there's grace, and there's strength available in the gospel of Jesus Christ for parents, for grandparents, for Sunday school teachers, for even the weariest parent. There's no perfect parent, there's no perfect child, but today we're going to come to one perfect Lord. That's what we're going to do. This morning we're going to look at three principles of wisdom to guide our course. Hopefully you've got your outline. Open it up. Get it out. Follow along. There's a lot of fill-ins today I noticed. I was like, we got a lot to cover. So we're going to jump right in. Hopefully you got your Bible open as well. A little more kind of a topical jump today, but we're going to root it in the text today as we look at our first principle. It might seem so simple, but it's worth our time. Here it is. God has designed and ordered the family. God now has designed and ordered the family. Over the last 50 years, I would say, we've seen the redefining of, the breaking down of, and I'm not just speaking of uh, broken family relations, but just in general, the concept of family in the last 50 years, we've seen it broken down. We've seen it tarnished. We've seen it ridiculed. When big government wants authority in your family, right? In Madison Avenue, The advertisers want the allegiance of your family, the God-given role of moms, of dads, has been minimized, marginalized, mocked. Do you know how controversial it is to say today that there's an ideal family structure? Do you know how controversial that is to say that? That is not to say, please hear me, if you are parenting alone today as a single parent, that is not to say, when I say that there's an ideal family structure, that is not to say that single parent homes cannot produce well, uh, well developed, amazing, God loving, God fearing children. It is not that, okay? Today is not a day to uh, criticize single parenting. But at the same time, We have to go where God's word takes us. And as Christians, as disciples, move towards the ideal of what God calls us to. So we need to speak about that. But as we said, there are unsung heroes, even parenting here today, who are going it alone the best they can. This morning is for you too. 
but a reminder that we didn't create the idea of family, did we? We didn't create the idea of family. God did. And as God is the creator of it, he's also the orderer of it. He's decided how it should be ordered and how it will work best for the best flourishing now, the best flourishing of those children that are raised in it. And if God's designed it, if God's ordered it, we are wise to follow it. If he's the one who created it, we are wise to follow it the best we can. Where does it come from? Do you know? Where does that order come from? Let's take a look. We're going to go to these passages so many times here at Bethany Church because uh, they're that vital to this world that God made. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We go back to, for a moment this morning to some of the most important verses of the Bible to see that God was first. He made the man, and then he made the woman, and he brought them together and then told them, have kids, <laughs> have children, be fruitful, and multiply in this earth. God created it. God designed it. God ordered the family. And in this ordering, he said, I'm going to be the center of the family, then the parents, and then the children. God's going to be the center. He was there first, wasn't he? Then he made the man and woman. They didn't instantly have kids. They didn't pop out. And Adam and Eve were like, thank God, right? Because they got to have kids and do all that stuff, right? But he put himself at the center. Some of you got that. Uh, then he made the man and woman. And then he had the children, right? It leads us to the motto that, we didn't make up. We heard from some others as we became young parents that we use in our family to help us remind us of God's ordering. Here it is. It's the first subpoint there. Children are welcome members of the family, not the center of it. Children are welcome members of the family, not the center of it. It's shocking, I know. That could get me hauled off in some places, right? <laughs> Children are welcome members of the family, not the center of it. It's shocking. But the creation order points us in that direction. So too does God's command that the husband and wife are one flesh. Okay? So not only the order of the design of creation, but God's, God's command that the husband and wife are one flesh. Here's that verse coming up from Genesis 2. Then the man said, this is at last, uh, excuse me, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, when Adam and Eve had kids, Adam may have shed a little tear. He may have got out his cigar, right? But he didn't respond like this to Cain and Abel. He didn't respond like this to Cain and Abel. Adam breaks into a song here when he sees Eve. Wow! Right? Wow! And while Cain and Abel came from Adam and Eve, it was the parents' one flesh union that God worked through. They 
You see it here. They have a primary role together. and The children are welcomed into it. They're the ones who are one flesh. They're the ones who God says, you'll come together and out of that union, I'll bring children. They're welcomed in to that. Welcome members of the family. And you kids here today, any kids that are here today, we've got a few in the service still, you need to know that your parents' relationship comes first. And it's actually good for you and healthy for you if it does come first. You're welcomed into it. So what should the family look like? Here's a little just visual picture to help us kind of get this ordering. I think too often in our culture, we kind of, every family now, parenting can get crazy because we can sometimes slide over this way, slide to that side, and take God's order and we jumble it up. We take the way he's designed the family and we kind of play Yahtzee with it, right? Kind of throw the dice out there. We jumble it and get it mixed all up. And we become child-centered families. The temptation's there for every parent and every family rather than God-centered families, okay? It's important to love our children. Absolutely. To love them sacrificially, right? But there's a fine line. Now, it's a fine line between loving our children and centering the family around them and turning them into idols. They can't bear the weight of your soul as a parent. They weren't designed to do that. And if you place that weight on them, it'll crush them. And if they disappoint you, you'll fall apart, right? They weren't designed to be at the center of your family, but God at the center. Now, every parent, every family struggles with this. Every family battles this. Which program? Which sport? Which activity? What event? Where do you need to be? What's the cost? It doesn't matter. Anything for you, my dear, right? I mean, we, we all struggle with that. We do. Obsessive entertaining, obsessive scheduling, obsessive ordering, and all of a sudden, the children are structuring and running the entire thing, and mom and dad are like, I need an assistant just to keep up with my kids, right? I need a nanny just to, like, make it through one day. Every family struggles with this. Every parent struggles with this. Because we all struggle with placing other things in the center of our heart rather than God. And we do love children so much. So they're a natural, easy fit to slide right in there. Because we do love them so much, we're called to love them. Every family. The family life becomes absolutely then centered around the children for their activities and well-being and uniquely crafted for them. And what feels like love, because we're providing so many opportunities, and they'll be so well-rounded, can quickly become a disordering of what God has designed and willed for the family when God was taken out of the center and the children were placed there. How do you know if you've done this? How do you know if you've done this then as a family and as parents? You have to ask yourself a couple questions. We know we've done this when we start, really, to disobey God's will for the sake of our, chi- of our child or their activities, Right? We just can't get to church anymore. We've got so much going on. We just can't make it. We've got so much going on. It's crazy, I know. Now, there's a time for that, a place for that, when there's Sundays we can't be. But if, if the overwhelming family life is so centered around the kids that, you know, we stopped going to church a few months ago. It just kind of happened, right? Or stop being able to support your church, even through giving, right? All these ways. Or, or stop being able to open your family and have time to build relationships in the church. That's when we know. 
when you've begun to disobey God for the sake of your child. Or with your marriage. Time for a healthy marriage. Time to just say, hey kids, sit down over there. This is time for mom and dad. Just wait. We need time. If your marriage is getting squeezed out from the center too, then you know as well you've disordered what God has designed. And that ultimately, it's actually ultimately not loving for our child because what it does is it teaches them that life is actually all about them. It's actually not loving for them. As the individual is designed to love, have God at the center of their life, so too it's to be at the family. And parents, as we think about this now, here's our second subpoint we're going to get to. He's put us in charge to see to this. This applies to the single parent home. This applies to the, the dual parent home. Parents, you are in charge. It seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? But there are many days for me, it doesn't feel like it, right? You can relate. Lots of days, it doesn't feel like it. But God has given us as parents the role of authority. Now, hear me. The role of authority. Not authoritarian. There's a difference there. Between having a role that's given to you to have authority and being authoritarian. What's authoritarian look like? Parents, dads, we feel like I've got the authority, it's my God-given authority, and my kids are just going to knuckle under because I'm an authority. That's authoritarian. That's not what God says when he put placed parents in charge. Not a cruel dictatorship. That's not authority. That's authoritarian. It's not a heavy-handedness authority. That's authoritarian. But the authority, here is what it is, is to take your family and center them on God. That's your authority. That's your role as parents, to point them to Christ. That's your authority. That's your role. Abraham is called by God in Genesis to be in charge of his family. He's called to be in charge of his family. Here's the verses. For I have chosen him, that's Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness, right? That's not heavy-handed authoritarian. To do righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Abraham, he's given the, the command there to lead. Direct your children, Abraham, in righteousness, in justice, Lead them to the way of the Lord. That's the authority we've been given. That's the authority. And as with Abraham, this text says as parents, our authority is not ours because we're bigger, right? Or smarter or wiser or older than our kids. It's our authority only because it's been given to us by God. That's the only reason. It's God-given. So then as you think about parenting now as a dad or as a mom or even as you're interacting in a grandparent role or maybe some of you have roles that feel like parental roles or roles of authority in a child's life, when we exercise any authority, it's not independent authority. It's not ultimate authority, but it's on God's behalf. It's on God's behalf that we exercise authority. So we discipline because God has called us to, not because I deserve obedience. We discipline because they've really disobeyed God. 
Not because they frustrated us or made us mad. How hard is that? If God is ultimately in charge and He's placed parents in charge under Himself, any issue our children have with us as parents is really an issue between the child and God. And it's okay to use that language with our children. We should use that language with our children. Do you know why Daddy said what Daddy said would happen if you, if you disobeyed? Yes, you'd, you'd be disciplined. And do you remember that God put Daddy in charge so when you disobey Daddy, you're actually disobeying what God wants. And God says, I must discipline you. So if I don't, then we're both disobeying God, aren't we? And that's not good for us, is it? Parents, we've been called to act and to have a confidence to act as a leader. We have a a mandate to act, I would even say, but it's sobering, isn't it? It's humbling to think that as we act, as we lead, as we discipline, we act as God's representatives. Our authority only comes from Him, and it's only legitimate when that authority is used to shepherd our children towards Him towards Christ, towards Jesus, towards the gospel. That's, that's appropriate authority. So parents, we're called to be in charge. Children, the third sub-point there, you're called to obey. Kids, I'm looking at some of you, trying to get your attention. Kids, you're called by God to obey. What's that look like? Kids, if God is in charge then, and he's put your parents in charge, what's he called you to do? Obey. Here's a verse from Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Kids, do you see what that is saying there? What that verse is saying? Not only is God calling you to obey your parents, and to listen to them. But God just says pretty practically, if you do, if you obey your parents, life will go better. There's promises attached to your obedience. Life will just go better if you obey. It doesn't always feel like that, and it takes trust, doesn't it? Because we can't always see things the same way our parents do. And sometimes we're second-guessing them. I don't know about that decision. But God says when you obey, there's promises attached to it. Life will go better for you. Here's another one. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And all the kids are like, cool, what's a garland? (laughs) Right? I don't know what that is. What's a garland? God's telling you that what your parents teach you when they discipline you, when they instruct you in godly ways to lead you to the gospel, to lead you to Jesus Christ, it may not always feel good, it may not always seem fair or be enjoyable, but it will be something beautiful to you in the long run. Like a, like a great outfit, like a beautiful necklace, like a great outfit that you would wear. If their goal is to bring you to God, their teaching, their instruction, Their discipline of you is actually the most loving thing they can do for you. Even though it doesn't always feel like that, right? All of us can relate, right? Going back in your childhood, we can all relate to that. 
it doesn't always feel that way. And like I said, your obedience to your parents is an act of trust and trusting God that he's put them there for a reason. He's designed the family for a reason. And trust and believe in that. Trust and believe in that. Even in discipline. Even in discipline. Here's what he says. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Those are pretty heavy words. God takes this really seriously. And your parents now, kids, aren't supposed to discipline you because they're angry or frustrated or mad, even though many times I do, I, I do. And we should seek forgiveness with you when we do that. We discipline because there's hope in it. It's that important. There's, there's hope in it. It shows you you need a Savior. It shows you the danger of disobeying God out forever into life, into eternity. And what's that danger? What's the danger, then, of a life of disobedience without the Savior? You could say it. Death. That's how vital it is when it's done in a godly way to shepherd them towards Christ. He says, don't take part in that. There's hope in it. There's hope in it. It's hard to believe. It takes trust on the parents' part too, doesn't it? Because sometimes it just doesn't feel right, even though God says it is. God's designed and order the family with God at the center, parents in charge, children called to learn from and obey your parents is our first wisdom principle. You might hear that and you say, you know what? That sounds really hard. <laughs> it is. And I say, that's a lot of responsibility. I mean, direct them towards God. That's my calling as a parent or as a grandparent or as a Sunday school teacher or as an adult in this church. It leads us to our second principle. Here it is. Parents, you're called to influence and shape your children, but you cannot determine your child's life. Parents are called to influence and shape their children, but cannot determine their children's lives. Randy Alcorn has a great illustration of this. Imagine a length of rope now, really long length of rope. Giant length of rope, and it's stretched from this wall, you know, all the way across the church parking lot even now. Giant length of rope that would represent your child's life now into eternity. That's all eternity, that entire length of rope. From here, all the way across the parking lot. And he took about a foot of that rope that was right here inside the sanctuary. He said, this is one foot of that giant eternity that represents your child's life on earth. Right? And then he would take that foot and break it down into one inch on that foot, that would be the 18 years we have with them to influence them and shape them. That one little inch. Now you look at that and you hear that, and there's a couple ways you can respond. One is determinism. Everything I can do, everything I'm going to do, everything I'm going to say as a parent, I can make it happen. I can determine it. I can make sure they're good, healthy, wise Christians, followers of Christ. I can do it. Determinism. The other one's just like, Denial. I, I, there's no way I can influence. That's, that's one inch out of the whole thing. Uh, I, we probably don't really make much of a difference anyways as parents. Denial is the other one. The two ways. And they both will make you crazy. <laughs> they both will make you crazy as parents. Here's the first one. 
we can't deny, we cannot deny that our influence as adults in children's lives now, and especially parents, it matters. Study after study after study after study says the thing that keeps kids in the church, the thing that passes on faith to children most, is are their parents actually living it? Not just at church on a Sunday, but in the home now. It's one of the means through which God works through. One, the, actually, the primary means now through which he works through. Can't deny that. Our influence is important. The sovereign God, he works through those means. Here's a verse, Proverbs 19, 18. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So there's value in it. It's wisdom. Doesn't guarantee it, but God tends to work through, first and foremost, parents pouring their lives into their kids to point them to Christ, to point them to God, to train them, to shepherd them to Jesus. But here's the other side. As important as it is, we also know we can't train our children, pour into them to do the best we can, and guarantee results. You can't. We can't. They're individuals. They're not extensions of ourself. They are individuals that must make their own profession of faith, that must choose to obey or disobey on their own. They are, you kids, you are responsible. As I said, they're not an extension of us. They're individuals made by God. They're not just passive agents being acted upon by us as parents. They have hearts with motives and desires all their own. Our kids are responsible for their actions. A lot of voices in our culture that will not tell you that's not true. But it is. Our kids are responsible for their actions. So we can influence, and it is important, but we can't determine. That's the other error. I can, perfect, I can parent perfectly. If I can just put my baby to sleep on their back, or no, is it their stomach? Or is it their back? Or is it their stomach? Or feed them all organic baby food, limit their screen time to 24 minutes a day, get them the right kind of education, take them to church, take them to youth group, make sure they do it all with a smile, right? I can guarantee it. I can determine it. That's why we've ended up with nanny state, right? Or nanny parents. We can determine it. Parenting is kind of the one place where there's a... Uh, Celebrated legalism still there that's like really celebrated. You got to do it this way, right? You got to do it this way. This is the way to determine, to guarantee the success of your children. When I think, and we should point it out, that I think sometimes nature, just who they are and how God has wired them, can be sometimes just as influential. If you've, if you've had more than one child, or if you've been around a family of multiple kids, you know that. Nature is important. Nurture is vitally important too, but it's not everything. It's not everything. They're responsible. They're individuals made by God. So what do we do then? It's which one? Either or. Wait, what is it? What do we do? Some of us grew up eating Pop-Tarts. <gasps> Watching Scooby-Doo from 3 to 6 p.m. after school. Drinking from the garden hose. Riding bikes without helmets. Guilty. Playing war with pine cones. We used to do that. Like my brothers peg each other. We turned out okay. 
you relax a little bit. You try to do really well at the few things God wants you to do to influence your kids' hearts, and you do leave the rest up to Him. You trust Him. So what are those things we're supposed to do? Let's go through a few really quickly at the sub-point. Parents, you do have a responsibility to train your children. To train your children. One of the means a sovereign God uses is the parent's effort to train their children to draw him to their self. We read it again. I'm not going to read it uh, again. We read it up front. I'm not going to read it again. But Deuteronomy 6 is popping up on the screen for you. We're not just caretakers. You're not just a caretaker as a parent, as a grandparent. We're called to pass on our worldview. We're called to pass on God's truth. God's reality. The way the world is designed to work, we're called to pass that on. When God came to Moses, he introduced himself in successive generations, didn't he? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Successive generations that had faithfully passed on the training. Not perfectly if you know the stories, right? (laughs) Not perfectly, remember that. But they passed it on. They saw that as their role. But as his agents then, we're called to this this more profound task, this all-pervasive task to teach them diligently when you sit and when you walk, when you lie and when you rise. It means all the time. And parents, we are the primary trainers. It's not your church. It's not your church. We partner with you We love your children and want to love them as much as you do. We want to provide resources and great teachers and disciple them into the sanctuary even. But it's not primarily on the church. God says it here, the verses we've been reading. The primary responsibility is on parents. On parents. We think, I couldn't be a missionary. Do you have kids? You're called to be a missionary. You're called to be. That's, that's your primary mission field right there in your, in your walls. And dads, whether they're still in your house, whether they've kind of made their way out or they're somewhere in between, dads, this still rests on us in some kind of unique calling. It involves knowing your kids, knowing their hearts, knowing their unique inclinations and how to take the Word of God and, and apply it to them. Apply it to them. To lead them to Christ. But here's the thing. Parents, grandparents, adults of Bethany Church, we have to know it, and not only know it, but we have to live it if we think it's ever going to be passed on to them. If it's just Sunday morning, if it's just here, and we get them to church and we've done our job, or get them to youth group and we're done, there's way too many voices today arguing, battling for their allegiance. It's got to be in the home too. They've got to see not just the smiles at Sunday church, but the grace and mercy in their home as well and the message of Jesus Christ, and that you value it as a parent or as any adult in a child's life now. The days of being able to parent kind of with that nominal, with a nominal faith and thinking it's going to be passed on, we can't do that. There's so many voices, so many voices arguing and battling for their soul, really, for their soul. Too many competing competing worldviews today and all kinds of access to them. Called to train. Here's a second subpoint. Parents have a responsibility to discipline their children as well. To discipline as well. 
Now, we have to understand, this is one of the things that was the hardest for me as a dad, as a parent. Maybe some of you that have raised kids will relate here. Some of you that are just now infants, maybe heading into that phase, will come to see it. When we're talking about discipline, the primary goal of discipline is not behavior modification. The primary goal of discipline is not just behavior modification, or put it another way, the primary goal is not just well-behaved children. That would be nice when I'm in the middle of Costco and there's a temper tantrum on the ground, right? That would be nice. When there's a screaming child on the floor, you've all been there. The goal of discipline is heart transformation. That's it. The goal of discipline is heart transformation. But we're commanded to. Here's a few Proverbs. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. It's connected to love. A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence, kids, to listen is wise. But hear this. Whatever method you choose to discipline your children, and I think it changes with age, Discipline is never an opportunity for the parent to vent their anger. It's one of the most profound truths I ever learned, and I am still learning it. I am still learning it. Discipline is never an opportunity for the parent to vent their anger. James 1 says, The anger of man never produces the righteousness of God. And if that's our goal for them, they love the Lord and follow Him, Have I disciplined in anger? Yes. Have I done it more than once? Yes. And then my hope is that I go and I ask for forgiveness. Parents, we have to humble ourselves before our children and ask for forgiveness so that they too will begin to learn, oh, yes, they're sinners, but oh, they believe in that forgiveness thing that comes from God. They've modeled it. They've mirrored it. They believe the gospel. The purpose of discipline is not venting anger. It's not even punitive. It's not necessarily even punishment. But it's really to address what's going on in the heart. There's a great book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Maybe you've heard of it. It's been around for a good probably 20, 25, maybe 30 years. Shepherding a Child's Heart. Yes, we have to require obedience as parents. And God's law demands it. But we can't just leave it there. We don't just focus on the what the child did. Here's what you do when you're going for the heart. You ask the why. Not just the what. Let's just get this behavior in line. Let's just get it stopped. You know, sometimes it is that. I'm embarrassed. You know, I I just can't believe you did that. I'm just, I'm humiliated. Just, you know, stop it. Right? That's the what. The why. We ask the why. Why do you think you did that? Sometimes you're going to get, I don't know. Right? I don't know. I just did it. Why did you hit your sister? Why did you hit your brother? Why did you scream? We go after the heart. Those are the kind of questions that probe a little deeper, shepherd their heart. We use discipline as a time to point them to their need of a Savior. That's its purpose. That's its ultimate goal. That's the end of it. That's what we want. We use discipline as a time to point them as their need of a Savior. And it's okay, parents, to use this language. This is sin right now. And this is coming from your heart. But you know what? There's a Savior. 
and it's pointing you to your very need of him right now. It's right. It's good. It's okay to use that language with our kids. But there's a Savior who died for it. Son, daughter. Hebrews 12 helps us here. For they disciplined us for a short time. That's earthly fathers, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. There it is. That's shepherding a heart. That we may share his holiness. Holiness comes from the heart outward. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We discipline for their good, out of love, as God does for us. As we try to do a few things well, we must train them, we must discipline them, but we also must realize that God has the saving responsibility of changing, saving and changing our children. God has the responsibility of saving and changing our children. Remember, we're means. We're means to be used as parents, as grandparents, as Sunday school teachers now over there right now with your kids, youth workers. We're, we're, we're means. But it's God is the one who saves and changes them. God is the one who does a work in them. I mean, think for a minute. How do you parent without that comfort? How do we parent without that comfort? Knowing that God is sovereign. He was the one who will do a saving work in their heart. Without that knowledge, without that, that truth, here's what happens. We either slip into that denial, right? There's nothing I can do that can, nothing I can do, I have no influence on them, or determinism. We slip into either one of those. But here's what God's saying. No, do the few things God has called you to as well as you can and trust him with the results. Trust him with the results. I know that's easier said than done, but the alternative is hopeless. Think about it. When our child is sick, child falls ill or a child is, goes wayward from our, from our home, what do we do? We pray for our children as if God is sovereign. God, bring them back. God, change their heart. God, heal them. Bring them back. Some of us have been so hard on ourselves because we think we failed as parents and you probably did the best you could. You probably did the best you could at that time in your life. So rest in his timing Trust in his timing. Keep training. Keep going after your adult children. Keep praying for them and trusting. Trusting God. I know it's easier said than done, but what's the alternative? Right? What's the alternative? So go after them even if they're 20, 30, 40. Keep praying for them daily. But there's one final wisdom principle for us. It's, the, it's actually the most important. It's our final one today. Because you come to the Bible... You come to God's Word and you think about parenting, there's really only a few verses in Scripture uh, in, in all the Bible on parenting. As you think about it, as important as parenting is now, there's really only a, a handful of verses. Can you believe that? As important as it is, and here's why, the gospel alone is enough. The gospel alone is enough. Parents, you're called to focus on the gospel. Focus on the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation, for everyone who believes. It's the gospel now. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the dead. That's the power of salvation. But it doesn't stop there. It's also the power for parenting. It's also the power for parenting. Think about this now. Any love you have for your child, 
Any patience we'll show our children. Any concern to train them, to bring them to the feet of Jesus, to bring them to the Lord, to discipline them in a godly way must come from our own love of Jesus Christ. That's the fuel. That's the power. Any reaching their heart, any shaping of their heart, any faith that springs from their heart is going to come from the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Any grace we show them, any mercy we extend ourselves, and every parent in this room needs to do that. Any mercy you extend yourself for our parent failings, which we all have, is going to come from the Gospel and forgiveness and grace and mercy found in God. Any trust we're going to exercise that God's really in control of our child's lives will come from the Gospel and truly knowing Jesus. And if this isn't real to us, how do we expect to pass it on? It's the Gospel. That's why there's not an exact manual, here's how you parent, because the Gospel's enough. The message of Jesus Christ is enough. Parenting is really hard. It's one of the hardest things we will ever do. So here's, here's, here's the, the, the key today. Don't parent without the greatest resource available, Jesus Christ and the good news. We can't. The gospel motivates us. It teaches us. It empowers us for the task of, of, of parenting. And as a church, to disciple our young people. It's the gospel we want to bring them to over and over again. We have to. It's that hard. It's that big. It's that challenging. You need grace today. You need mercy today as a weary parent. You need forgiveness today as a weary parent. But so do your kids. So do all our kids. Let's say our kids, Bethany Church, right? Our kids. We covenanted today here. Our kids need it. They need the gospel. So we follow these wisdom principles of parenting. We order our families as God created. We influence and shape through training discipline and, th- and we center it all on the gospel because there's no perfect parent right no perfect child but there's one perfect lord that's jesus christ let's pray lord we come to you today on a full day a busy day but a good day in the life of our church as we dedicate children to the lord as we bring them to the feet of Jesus, as these parents stand in front of this congregation and say, I am going to shepherd my child's heart to the cross, to Christ, to the good news of Jesus. We too enter into that as a family of God, as parents, as grandparents, as older mentors and disciples in the church, as Sunday school teachers, Lord. Give us this wisdom we need. May the gospel of Jesus Christ be the fuel and power for our parenting too. And all we do here at Bethany but in our parenting too. Father, give grace and mercy to the weary parent today. To the frustrated parent today. To the parent that won't let some guilt go. Many of our parents we even know, some of us feel we did the best we could and they did. Let the gospel be a sweet balm to them today too. And a newfound hope as all of us, as we think about pursuing our kids' hearts, Lord, give us hope, give us peace, give us life. Thanks for today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.